0: Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 1, now on the twenty and fourth day of this month the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day. And another fourth part, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, for another opportunity that you've given to us to preach your word. And Lord, we need divine help tonight, and I pray that you'd be pleased to meet with us. And oh God, just prepare our hearts for this time, prepare us for revival. And we know that you did for Israel, you are able to do for us. And I pray God that you'd do it. Speak to us, O Lord, and may our hearts and minds be open to the truth you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to talk to you on seven steps to revival. Seven, of course, is the number of perfection, and I think we find seven in this chapter. Now, let me give you a little word about Nehemiah. He was the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes. And 14 years after the return of Ezra, the priest, Nehemiah leads a company uh, to rebuild the walls and restore civil authority. Uh, And uh, this task was accomplished, but not without opposition. You read the book of Nehemiah, and he had uh, tremendous opposition. In fact, uh, at a time there, they had to build and work with one hand and carry a sword in the other hand. That gives you an idea of the kind of opposition that he faced. Anytime you try to do anything for God, you're going to stir up the devil and you're going to have opposition. Now the wall was finished in 52 days. Uh, That's in chapter 6, verse 15. And in chapter 8, the law is read and explained and the Feast of Tabernacles is restored. And that brings us to the chapter that we uh, have tonight and uh, the scripture that I read to you. And I believe we see seven things uh, in, in this revival, if you want to call it a revival, uh, that uh, certainly could be applicable to us today. The first, in verse 1, now on the twenty-fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting, and with sackcloths and earth upon them. First thing I want to call your attention to is the sackcloths. Now, you have these used uh, quite often in the Bible. Uh, They were made of the hair of goats or camels, very coarse and usually black in appearance. They were used for uh, straining liquids, for sacks, and mourning garments. As we read in the Bible about St. Claus, they are primarily associated with mourning. And you can see the coarseness, they evidently were quite uncomfortable. And it was a picture of mourning. Now, we have in, uh, I want you to look in the book of James, chapter 4, uh, and uh, verse number 6 of James 4, And uh, verse 6 through 10, that's page 1309. Verse 6 says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Now, the St. Claus here was a picture of humility. And in order to have revival, there must be a spirit of humility. Revival will not come without it. And he says that God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Now, the book of Jonah, we have uh, an illustration of uh, of this sackcloth in Jonah uh, chapter 3. That's page 944, the book of Jonah. And uh, Jonah's pretty easy to find. It's right after Obadiah. Jonah chapter 3 and verse... uh, Four, you know, of course, the familiar story of Jonah. And Jonah goes to Nineveh there. Verse four. And Jonah began to enter into the city of Day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast uh, and put on sackcloth. Now there it is. From the least of them even or from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from the evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. Now, can you imagine the President of the United States doing that? The Bible said here, the Nineveh, the, from the greatest, even the King of Nineveh, rose, laid a, his robe from, from him, and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Now, you talk about humility, but that's what we need in this day. It's what we need in, in our country, it's what we need in our churches, it's what we need in order to have revival is a spirit of humility. And uh, St. Claus was a picture of that. Now in 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now you know what humility says? Humility recognizes the authority of God. And that's man's biggest problem. We have a problem with authority from the time we're born. And uh, when we grow up, we still have some problems with it sometimes. But uh, uh, here he, the king humbled himself before the Lord. Humble yourselves therefore unto the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You know God's ways are different than man's ways. Uh, man's ways is to do anything you can to get ahead. God's ways is humble yourself and I'll exalt you. Now Matthew 5 verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn, For they shall be comforted. So we have the need of humility. And that's what Chronicles says there, that scripture that's used so often uh, about revival. But sackcloth, representing humility. Now let's move on. Verse 2. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Second of all... There needs to be separation. Separation. Now in Nehemiah 13 and verse 3. Now it came to pass when they had heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. There needs to be a separation. You know we live in a day when, uh, when the message is being preached Is it's all come together. Uh, A message of unity. Let's forget our differences and just all come together. You know, the Bible teaches the opposite. Uh, We find here that that, uh, the Bible said they separated the mixed multitude. Now, this mixed multitude was a problem. In Exodus 12, verse 38, when Israel went out of Egypt, the Bible said, and a mixed multitude went up also with them. And I want to tell you, that mixed multitude was nothing but trouble for Israel from the time that they left Egypt with them. Now, there's a lot of discussion about who the mixed multitude were, and some believe that some of the Jews that intermarried with the Egyptians, and, and that constituted the mixed multitude. Others believe that, uh, that it was uh, seed of Abraham and various discussion about that. I don't think that's important. I think what is important that this mixed multitude, uh, of course, evidently did not believe in the, in the same God that Israel believed in, and they were a thorn in their side. Now, Numbers 11, verse 4, and the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. They said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? They grumbled, they said, We're tired of the manna." We're tired of the Word of God, basically, is what they were saying. A man representing the Word of God. Jesus taught that in the book of John. And, uh, and they were tired of it. And the mixed multitude, you know, they have their problems coming through the wilderness there. And a lot of it stems from the mixed multitude right. that, uh, that uh, were dissatisfied and disheartened, and they got others dissatisfied. And uh, there has to be a separation. Uh, You know, Amos 3, verse 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? You know, that's the problem with many marriages, isn't it? There's disagreement. Can two walk together except they be agreed? That applies in many areas. And, you know, I don't believe believe you can join hands with a bunch of unbelievers and those that reject the truth of the Word of God. uh, I believe we need to separate from the mixed multitude. And that's what they did. They separated. Now, this truth is brought over in the New Testament. If anyone would question uh, the truthfulness of this, you know, every time you read something from the Old Testament, sometimes you say, well, I'm not under the law. That don't apply to me. And, uh, you know, it's a strange thing. A lot of times if we don't like it, we just give it to the Jews. <laughs> say, God wrote that to the Jews. I don't like that, so we'll give it to them. In 2 Corinthians 6, a premier scripture, let's look there, page twelve thirty-four. Second Corinthians in chapter number six and uh, verse number fourteen. Listen what he says: Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And he gives us a reason for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, what communion hath light with darkness, what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. We'll be a father unto you. You shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now this scripture says to come out and be separate from unbelievers. Right. And, uh, and he gives the reasons for that. So he says come out and I will receive you. Indicating that if we don't, then God won't receive us. Right. So we need to separate from unbelievers. We need to be separate as Christian people, as saved people. We need to come out. That doesn't mean we're to have no contact with them. We'd have to go out of the world. We're certainly to try to win them to Christ and live right before them. But we're not to participate in their sin and join hands with them and join agreements with them. I believe that applies in business. I believe it applies uh, in in church endeavors, certainly. And uh, that's why we're an independent Baptist church. Because we believe the convention does some things that I can't agree with. And uh, you know they support things that uh, that I believe are anti-God and anti-scriptural, and and therefore I cannot support that and cannot join with that. People say, and in their churches, they they are they're a part of it. Uh, they say we're we're in, in it in name only. Well, if I was going to be in it, I'd support it. And if I wasn't going to support it, I'd get out of it. Amen. But. Uh, uh, we, we believe, I believe that certainly literally and I believe this scripture applies to that as well as other areas of life. But anyway, uh, people that, that deny, people deny the virgin birth and deny the blood of Christ and deny the bodily resurrection of Christ, I can't join hands with someone like that just because they're bad right. or whatever denomination they may be. And uh, so he says, I believe we're to separate. They separated from the mixed multitude. I believe we're to separate from the mixed multitude. Right. I mean, I can't fellowship, I can't fellowship to someone that prays to Mary. Right. You know, or prays to saints, or believes in works for salvation. Right. Right. I believe that's anti-scriptural. I don't believe a Christian should join hands in fellowship with someone like that. Again, not mistreat people and be unkind to them, but as far as, as joining together, we're to be separate. Now, in verse, in, in verse 1 of chapter 7, having therefore these promises, dear beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfect the wholeness in the fear of God. So we're to separate from the believers, and we're to separate from personal uncleanness. Not just enough. And we're not to take the holier than thy attitude and I'm the one right and everybody else is wrong. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about those that reject the truth of God. We're to separate ourselves from them. But at the same time, we're to get rid of the uncleanness and the sin in our own heart and life. And this is necessary uh, for revival, I believe. So there needs to be separation. Okay, not only that, but back in Nehemiah, the Bible said in verse 10 that they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Thirdly, sins need to be confessed in order to have revival. Notice they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. I think we need to do that for our country and not only the sins that we've committed and, and, uh, and the abortion that's been committed. Uh, you know, it, the thing that amazes me is God had not already judged us Amen. for all the innocent blood that has been shed. I think we need to confess it. Of course, there in the Old Testament it said uh, that uh, uh, there, uh, what was the king's name? Uh, uh, I can't think of it right at the moment, but anyway... Uh, he filled Jerusalem from one end to the other with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. I think the only remedy for the shedding of innocent blood is the blood of those that shed it. Sins need to be confessed. In Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. It's not enough just to confess it. We must also forsake it. Confess the sin, admit it to sin. That's what he's talking about. And then forsake it. And the reason people are not forsaking their sin because they don't confess it. They don't, think there's, they don't think it's a sin to confess. But it is. If God's Word says it's a sin, it's a sin. And if it doesn't bring glory to God, it's a sin where God's Word says anything about it or not. Right. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. If it don't do that, it's a sin. So sins need to be confessed. James 5, 16, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so uh, he says confess your faults and then the effectual fervent prayer. prayer. Our prayers are not effectual unless our sins are confessed. We talked about that Wednesday night. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So my prayer won't be effective. It will not produce a revival unless my sins are confessed. First, there needs to be a confession of sin. And 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, not someone else's sins. You know, I don't have any problem confessing yours. It's mine that I have a problem with. Isn't that about the way it is? Uh, you know, we find fault in others. We, sometime we try, to, we try to get the mold out of our brother's eye and we've got a saw log, we've got a beam in our own eye. You, of course, none of you are guilty of that, I know. But uh, I tell the way you're looking at me. But sins need to be confessed. Sins confess our sins, not someone else's sins. Confess your sins and God's promise to forgive us. And if we admit we're wrong, that's hard to do, to be honest with you. We don't want to be wrong, do we? But we are. Whether we, we want to admit it or not, we, we do make mistakes. And not just mistakes, we sin. <laughs> that's what we do. And sometimes we don't want to call it that, do we? Oh, I made a mistake. No, I sinned against God. And David there, you know, when he come face to face with his sin, he said, against thee, and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. You read Psalm 51, I'll tell you he calls it just exactly what it is. And, and we'd have revival if we, if we would get to the place we'd quit, quit saying everything's all right and just call it, call it sin, just call it what God calls it and say it's wrong, it's, it's evil, it's sin, and I'm guilty. Sins need to be confessed. Not only that. Scripture's read, verse 3, and they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day. You think our services are long? How long is the fourth part of the day? Well, if let's say if there's 12 hours of sunlight, I assume he's talking about the daytime and not the night. Let's say there's 12 hours. That'd be three hours. They stood and read the word of God for three hours. And we get to sit in padded pews. Huh. Some of you remember the sawdust trail, don't you? And uh and uh, you know the pews just had a board there. You was lucky. You got a board. <laughs> and uh uh the brush harbors and all those sort of meetings and, and I can remember going up in church, I mean you you know, you had this a simple pew they built them. I mean, they just took slats of wood and nailed them together, and you had a pew. wasn't any padding to it. And uh, but they stood and read the Word of God. I mean, what if we just come to church and read the Word of God? That's all we done. Didn't have any singing. Didn't have anything else. Just read the Word of God for three hours. You know. And notice they stood up in their place. And read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day. And you can't have revival without the Word of God. And there are those that try to, uh, you know, put the Word of God in a secondary place. And, and uh, you know, the churches have gotten to, uh, you know, they're having all kind of things. And, uh, you know, let's have an aerobics class and, and uh, you know, uh, play ball and, and uh, you know, show movies and, and, uh, whatever nothing wrong with the Christian film or whatever but I'll tell you the word of God is the most important thing of all and any time the word of God is taken out of its place you've got problems the scriptures are read here one fourth part of the day now the Bible says in, uh, in, uh, in chapter 8 let me turn back there and read about three verses if you will there please Nehemiah 8 verse 1 and all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding, upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street, that was before the water gate, from the morning until midday, uh, before the men and the women, and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive under the book of the law. Now here they read a half a day and nobody went to sleep. Everybody was attentive. Everybody paid attention for six hours. They were attentive to the word of God. That shows the importance. You know. You know one reason? Uh... Because, uh, you know, I believe it in King Josiah's time that the law of God was discovered. They hadn't heard the word of God in a long time. Probably the same here. And if we didn't have it, you know, the problem is we've had it so much that we don't appreciate it. And if we didn't have it, as I remember the tape, Brother Marlow let me have, and his fellow talks about going into China, I believe it's China, and smuggling some Bibles in there. And when the first thing they did, when they got them, they tore the backs off of them. Because they didn't want that Holy Bible on there. That they, they'd be discovered and, and confiscated and whatever. And, uh, and they, they began to tear the Bibles up. Tear them in pieces. And tear the books, separate the books of the Bible. And give it out. And said one, I believe it was one man there, uh, had one page of the Bible he'd been carrying around for a long time. And he got the whole book of John to read. And he was so happy that he had the book of John and the Word of God. And here we are, we have Bibles here, and uh, probably everybody here has more than one Bible and maybe several Bibles in your home, and we don't have to appreciate the Word of God. i tell you, this is God's Word. If, 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 if somehow that next Sunday, Homecoming Sunday, that Jesus Christ himself in a body would come, and we would announce Jesus himself is going to be here and speak at Homecoming. Can you imagine the excitement? Well, you couldn't get people in a mile of this place. People wanted to come and see Jesus Christ in person. Well, he's not going to do that in person. But he's given us his, this is his letter. This is his love letter. This is his word that he's given to us. And we don't appreciate it. We don't love it like we ought to love it. But these people, I'll tell you, they had revival because they loved the word of God. John five thirty nine, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and there they which testify of me. Proverbs 28, 9, he that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. God says you can't get your prayers answered if you don't love the word of God. If you won't hear the word of God, you can't get your prayers answered and that would include praying for revival. Then not only that, but number uh, five, there needs to be spirit-filled worship. Notice the Bible said uh, that uh, they read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one fourth part of the day, and another fourth part they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. And that took them a while. It took them just as long to confess as it did to, to read the word of God. You know, sometimes preacher preach for an hour and have a five minute invitation, and it could probably be done in thirty seconds. <laughs> you know, if you measured on the on the, the response. But here they, uh, they read a fourth part of the day and another fourth part they confessed and they worshipped the Lord their God. Now in chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, the Bible says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, "Amen, Amen!" with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I'll tell you, these folks were worshiping, and they wanted—I'm not talking about this put-on, you know, this show, and uh, you know, trying to work something up. I'm talking about when a heart is humble before God. When your heart's humble and you feel like falling on your face before the Lord in real worship. This, this is what happened. And, and they, they worship the Lord. In Psalm 95, verse 6, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. And uh, it's not so much the position of the body as it is the position of the heart. But when your heart is humble, then it causes your body to want to bow in this matter of worship. Now, let's turn to John chapter 4. John 4, a familiar story there, the Samaritan woman, and uh, verse number 20, John 4 verse 20, and Jesus is having this conversation with this Samaritan woman, and uh, she says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem, the place where men ought to worship. That's... uh, Page eleven, nineteen. if you had not found it yet, John 4, verse 19, or verse 20, rather. And she's she's trying to figure out where you're supposed to worship. Listen, verse 21. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. He's telling the place is not what's important. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Spirit-filled worship. Can't worship without the spirit. Can't worship without the truth. It takes both. You have to worship in the right way. People say, I don't think it makes any difference where you go to church. Oh, yes, it does. That's right. One religion's good as another. That's not true. That's right. Right. Doesn't matter. That's right. You know, one is as good as another if both are following the truth. But the tragedy is that usually it's not that way. Now, he says they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And unless the Spirit of God comes, we haven't worshipped. Spirit, feel worship. That's what we need. Mr. McKinney is talking about that, you know, without the Spirit, it's, you know, might as well go to the house. Right. You know, without the Holy Spirit, it's all in vain anyway. You can't have revival. You can't worship. You can't have revival without the Spirit. Then not only that, but number six sincere thanksgiving. This is in verse 5 through 32, and I'm not going to read all that, but he simply is recounting the history of the nation and God's blessings upon the nation. Sometimes we forget where God brought us from. It's amazing how how forgetful we are. I'm not talking about that that's natural. You know, I'm forgetful. I try to write things down so I won't forget it, and then I forget where I wrote it. Uh, But that's the way it is, you know. And uh, uh, getting old... uh, Uh, You know, Miss Hollifield gave me a poem, and I'll read it sometime here. It said, The Lonely, the Old, the Forgotten. I told her, I said, That's me. Uh, But uh, anyway, we forget where the Lord brought us from, don't we? We forget the blessings of God we've enjoyed. And we need some sincere thanksgiving. Let me just give you a few of the verses uh, here in chapter 12. I'll turn on over Uh, In this book. And uh, in Nehemiah 12 and verse 27. They're dedicating the walls here. And at the dedication the wall of Jerusalem. They sought the Levites out of all their places. uh, To bring them to Jerusalem. To keep the dedication with gladness. Both with thanksgivings and with singing. With cymbals, psalteries and with harps. That word is psalteries. One black fellow's preaching a message on that. I've never heard it. Some folks have. He called it peasel Tree. The psaltery. <laughs> and talking about the Peasle Tree. Uh, and uh, all, <laughs> he didn't even know it was a musical instrument. But anyway, uh, the thing I want you to see is they kept it with gladness, with thanksgiving. Then in verse 31. He said, Then I brought up the princes of Judah upon the wall, and appointed two great companies of them that gave thanks, whereof one went on the right hand upon the wall toward the dung gate. Verse 38, And the other company of them that gave thanks went over against them. And I after them and the half of the people upon the wall from beyond the tower of the furnaces even unto the broad wall. Now think of that. These two companies, and all they're doing is giving thanks to God. You know, the best thing in the world to cure depression and self-pity is, is thanksgiving. Right. You know, we start being pessimistic and thinking about everything's wrong, never, nobody don't like me, and oh, I'm having such a hard time. And, and uh, just think about what the good things and the blessings of God that He's bestowed upon us. And this is what they're doing here. Verse 40, So stood the two companies of them that gave thanks in the house of God, and I and the half of the rulers with me. And verse 43, Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. They must have got excited. They heard them a long ways and they were excited about the Lord it's amazing how people they get excited about a ball game and, and whatever and they can't get excited about the Lord and you know the Lord's worth 10,000 ball games isn't it? I, I enjoy a ball game but I tell you you ought to enjoy the Lord and ought to enjoy him more sincere thanksgiving Uh, Psalm 95, verse 2 and 3, Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms, for the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So another step to revival is thanksgiving. Sometimes we... We pray about revival and we, we talk about revival. And we preach about revival and we have revival and the Lord meets with us and we forget all about it. We, ne- we don't even take the time to thank God for it. Right. There needs to be thanksgiving. They built the wall in the midst of terrible opposition and God gave them the city back and they were able to rebuild it and they took time and thanked the Lord and they got right with God. And then finally, there needs to be Submission. In verse 33 of this chapter of Nehemiah chapter 9. Howbeit, thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. They've got a submissive heart. Lord, you're right, and I'm wrong. Submission. James 4 verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. In Luke sixteen verse fifteen, and he said unto them, are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God." You know, because people like it, that don't mean God's in. Here they which justify yourselves before men. You know, it's far more important what God thinks about me than what you think about me. Trying to please you is not what ought to be interested in. It's trying to please God. And if we please the Lord, you know the Bible, I think, teaches if you please the Lord, you're not going to please the world. You're not going to please men if you please the Lord. There needs to be submission. That goes back to the point I've already made earlier. The problem we have from the time we're born, whether we believe it or not, We've been a rebel from the time we come into this world. And uh, we have that rebellious, as precious as little babies are. That bunch of rebels. <laughs> no one's ever had any, it. They don't care if it's the middle of the night. It doesn't bother them one bit. If they're hungry, what time it is, they could care less. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they're not interested in your welfare. They're interested in themselves. You say, they don't know any different. I know it. We have that problem, you know. You have that problem all through life, and it carries right over into home life, and and uh, uh, you know the problem with submission. That's a big problem, and uh, it's the downfall of many homes today. Is is this this you know? And God's the only one that can fix the problem, and if God don't fix it, you know. Uh, it's gonna stay right where it's at, and it goes it goes into the home. It goes in into the marketplace, into the job. It goes in goes in comes into the church, and the churches have problems and trouble, uh, you know, because of a matter of submission. That's the big problem. You can't have revival, and it comes from pride. You know, it all goes back to the basic sin of man, which is pride. And you can't have revival and you get rid of pride. And that goes back to the very first point that I made in the matter of sackcloth and the matter of humility. And humility and submission ties together. Do we want revival? Or do we just want to go through the motions? We've got a good preacher coming. Most of you have heard Brother Craig before. And he's a good man, a good preacher. But they don't guarantee revival. He's probably going to tell you what I've already told you. Maybe tell a little better. But, uh, uh, you know, do we want to have five nights, good preaching, some good singing, and, and uh, come together and enjoy it, and, and uh, come next Sunday with the same old people? Nothing's changed. You know what I'd like to do? I'd like, like to see a revival that you could tell you had it after it was over. That's what I like to say. I mean, lives were changed. You can see evidence of it in people's attitudes and people's actions and uh, in how we uh, we respond to the things of God and and uh, the priorities we have and what comes first. Is the Lord first? Or is something else first? Something that changes. The husband's a different husband. A wife's a different wife. And, Children are different children. I mean, there's a drastic change in homes. And there's a change in the church and and the services and the movement of God. And there's a change in the effect that a church has on a lost community. There's a definite change. uh, You know, that kind of revival. I don't see that. Just to be honest with you. I don't see it. And I'm preaching to me just like I'm preaching to you. You may have a revival and you may have a service or two that's pretty good. But lives are no different. People go the same places, they do the same things, they you know, they act the same. They got the same old hidden sins. Same hate, same envy, same jealousy, just like it was. We need a revival that will change hearts and change lives. That's what we need. If we're going to survive as as Christians individually, and if we're going to survive as a church family, we better have revival. A revival that will make us what God wants us to be. And you know... We have that kind of revival. We don't have to worry about having good service, good spiritual services. I don't have to I not have to get up here and fuss about you for not going soul winning. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry too much about Wednesday night and Sunday night. If it's possible you'll be here. When you have revival. I mean those are those are just outgrowths of what God's done in the heart. The work that he's done inside. That's what we need. A revival like happened in Nehemiah. I'll tell you, those folks, they had revival. They they really got right. That's what we need. Let's bow our heads, please.